Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor. Today we got producer Krishna with us and we have Brian Toporek. Today we're talking about the state of the 76ers. Brian's resume is pretty impressive. Senior quality editor at Bleacher Report, co-host of the NBA pod, contributor for Forbes Sports, and contributor to the Liberty Ballers, covering the Sixers, partnered with SB Nation. Brian, how you doing, and uh, what's the state of the 76ers looking like? Cautiously optimistic is how I how I would phrase it. Uh, we'll <laughs> see once uh, once the tampering penalties come in, if they come in. But right now, the vibes are definitely good. James Harden looks skinny. Well, you know, we're all like watching the uh, off-season IG posts, and he's looking in shape. Tyrese Maxey still has the heart of every Philadelphian, so things are good right now, man. You know it's the off season when just like every week people are just like, what's the uh, like the Blade Runner movie? We're looking at James Harden pictures and we're like enhance, yeah. enhance. <laughs> yeah, right? Is that a four pack on him? Do we see abs? Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. So the off season for the Sixers is pretty eventful. Uh, they extend James Harden. Uh, they sign PJ Tucker. They trade for DeAnthony Melton. He is a favorite here at Basketball Index. Uh, let's start with James. He's going into his age 33 season. Uh, he's been banged up the last two seasons. LeBron, our overall metric has really reflected that he's been about half the player he was during his prime in the Rockets. How do you see that playing out this season? Yeah, I mean, I don't think Rockets version of James Harden, where he's averaging 35 points a game is coming back. I don't think the Sixers need it to. So they have Joel Embiid, like James Harden does not have to be the best player on his team, which he did throughout really his entire Rockets tenure. So I'm less concerned with the volume scoring. I'm more concerned with the passing and the scoring efficiency. Um, You know, he has alluded to the hamstring injury that he suffered with Brooklyn during uh, the 2020-21 season and kind of lingered throughout all of last year. Now, he played through it, but he said like it did affect him. So we'll see what he looks like after a full offseason to rest it, recover, and go through his normal offseason training. Like, you know, the COVID compressed seasons have made the last few years really hard on guys, especially guys who go on deep playoff runs. Um, so I think the things that I'm looking for out of him this year. I, you know, I know the step back is his like vintage shot is his trademark, but I don't know that they need him to do it to the extent that he was last year. I want to see him taking more catch and shoot threes, which he really just did not do at all uh, over the past couple of years in Houston in particular. He was like just a very, very heavy ISO player, I think. The Sixers have enough talent around him that he doesn't need to just dribble for 20 seconds and then launch a step back three with three seconds left on the clock. Like They should be able to generate better looks than that. Uh, And I also want to see him. It's antithetical to everything that he and Daryl Morey have built over the years. But like, let's see a little bit more of the mid range. I think he's been working on it this offseason based on some of the footage that's come out. Uh, which hopefully indicates that it's something he's trying to get back to, at least as, you know, if all else fails, we have this in our bag, especially in the playoffs. So shot profile and passing are the two things I'm really looking for this season. 
It seemed like he really had like a bump in production after he got traded over to the Sixers. How did you see him kind of fitting in with his teammates, fitting in with the scheme, kind of the team shaping themselves around him and, and the kind of that relationship kind of going forward? Yeah, I think he really lifted the tide for everyone on the team. Like his passing ability just made it so much easier for guys to get open looks. They didn't always cash in on those looks, and that's something they'll need to improve upon. But I think based on the the offseason additions they made, they should be able to more easily this year. Um, you know, him and Joel Embiid established almost immediate chemistry as, as pick-and-roll partners, which was a big question coming in that once that trade went down, you know, Embiid is more of a post-up back to the basket. Like, he's added a face-up game, but he's never had a pick-and-roll partner because Ben Simmons... You know, you can just go under every screen on him and dare him to shoot. He never had someone like James Harden before, and James Harden never had a truly dominant scoring center like Joel Embiid. Uh, so I, I think the early signs from their relationship were very positive. He and Tyrese Maxey played off each other well. Like Maxey is just such a blur in the open court. So if Harden rebounds, he can just throw an outlet pass to Maxey, and that's an easy two points. Uh, Tobias Harris was the one who took a little bit more time to figure out his new role, but really by the time the playoffs came around, he he that was some of the best Tobias Harris we've seen in his three years, uh, three plus years as a Sixer. So I think Harden is even if he is not scoring, you know, 27, 28, 30 points a game. Like let's say he's averaging in the low twenties, which he did last year. If he's averaging, you know, seven, eight rebounds, 10 assists per game, that's really what the Sixers need out of him. And I think he should, barring like a total collapse due to father time, he should be able to do that. Yeah, good call out on the Tobias. I noticed that in the playoffs as well. I know it was kind of hard for them last year when Embiid got injured. It kind of took the wind out of their sails. But I feel like Harris played really well in the playoffs. And it'd be interesting to see if the team can get everyone going together hopefully Harden comes back and is as close to 100% as he can be at this age or I don't exactly know you know hamstring injuries are kind of tough especially with aging players but I think it's gonna be interesting to see everybody back together kind of rolling into the season healthy um moving on to Embiid had the best year of his career in the LeBron database career high in LeBron war career high in uh, LeBron which is just per 100 possessions he was third in 2022 uh, only behind Joker and Giannis. Uh, where does he go from here? Uh, do you think he finally gets over the hump and maybe adds an MVP trophy in the next season? It's so hard to say because, I mean, it, injuries are always the, the big concern with him. Um, you know, I like he played a career high 68 games last year. I don't think he's ever going to play 75, 76 like some of the other guys who he's going to be competing with for that trophy. So availability will probably always be a knock against him. Um, I think the Sixers should also try to limit his minutes in the regular season as much as realistically possible because you don't want him to have a ton of wear and tear on his body going into the playoffs. Uh, you know, I don't think with James Harden there the, the entire time that he's going to need to score 30 points per game. And also, you know, he averaged a career high 4.2 assists per game last year. They were really running the offense through him for most of the season until Harden arrived. Uh, so I think his role is going to be different this year. Uh, I think he can and should f 
focused more on defense. Like I, you know, I know he's in the odds market right now. Uh, he's one of the favorites for MVP, but I'm actually more intrigued by his DPOI odds because I think, given the personnel they added this off season, and if he can anchor, you know, a top five defense, I think he's a, a pretty decent dark horse candidate for that. So, you know, after last year, I, whether it was just him being despondent or him being honest, he was just like, I don't know what else I can do to win MVP. <laughs> so I just don't care anymore. Like I'm focused on winning a ring and none of these awards actually matter. Okay, I got a, a question. So what do you think uh, Joel can like improve on? Like what, what, do you, what kind of, yeah. Yeah, um, I, it sounds like they are working this offseason more on his ability to run the break. He's been doing that more in the last year or two. And, and when he does, he's basically unstoppable because what do you do when you've got like a 7'2", 280-pound man coming at you? <laughs> um, you? You know, he has improved leaps and bounds as a passer in recent years, especially out of double teams, which used to be his... You know, the easiest way to stop him, you can't stop him one-on-one unless you're like prime Marc Gasol, so just throw a double at him. You know, he came out with that face-up game two years ago, which was the big counter to it, but still he gets ambushed at times. So, you know, continuing to tighten up his handle, uh, working on his passing vision. Um, you know, like scoring-wise, the efficiency, you know, for a big man, like 49% overall from the field is not great i know a lot of those shots are coming from not right at the basket right he's taking threes he's taking a lot of long twos so he's never going to be like deandre jordan nearly gets 70 some percent from the field but if he can bump his efficiency up into the low to mid 50s i think that would help um and yeah i mean i think defensively he is great but you know, it, being able to conserve more of his energy on offense to focus more on that end of the floor, um, especially with, you know, now perimeter defenders like Melton, Tucker, uh, Daniel House, who they also added this offseason, Matisse, if he, you know, depending how much he plays this year, uh, I think they have the personnel to put something pretty special together on that end of the floor, too. So you have Harden, you have Embiid. Those two guys are your stars. I think you can kind of, you know, cash those guys in for really high impact. Uh, a player that I think everyone is is really interested in, Tyrese Maxey. He had a, a breakout year yeah. in year two, going into year three. Uh, the stats really like him. He had an A plus in our three point talent. Uh, he had an A in our finishing talent. Um, offensively, the sky seems like it's the limit for him as a scorer. How do you see him uh, continuing to improve and fitting in with uh, Harden and Bede on the offensive end? He is probably the hardest player for anyone who follows the Sixers to evaluate because everyone around the team raves about him so much and raves about his work ethic that you're right. It feels like there is just no limit to what he can become. And obviously that's not true given his frame in particular, like, you know, he's six to 200 pounds. He's never going to be Giannis or anything like that. But, you know, could you see him develop into a 25 point per game score one day? I, I don't see why not at this point. Um, I remember when they drafted him, you know, one of the concerns was his shot. Like he didn't shoot that well during his lone year at Kentucky and in limited volume as a rookie he shot 31 or 30.1% from three point range. Then he comes out last year and shoots 
you know, almost 43%. And all, <laughs> all year, you're just waiting for the regression to happen, and it never does. And you're like, oh, this, this just might be who he is. So I think that is a testament to what all the people around him say. Like, he is, you know, reportedly the hardest worker on the team. Like, they have to lock him out of the gym some days. Um, so, I, you know, we've, again, it's off-season footage. I don't know how much stock to put into it. But he is clearly trying to work on that James Harden step back three. And frankly, he might already be better at it than Harden is, which is kind of scary. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what Maxi added to his bag this offseason because I think he's, you know, Harden and Embiid are obviously like the, the biggest stars on the team. Most of the stuff is going to flow through them. Maxi is the biggest X factor. Like if Maxi. It has reached an all-star caliber level, that's going to put the Sixers in legitimate title conversation with Milwaukee and Boston in the East. So he seems to have like serious juice offensively, right? But one of the negatives in yeah. the numbers is his playmaking grade is, is pretty low relative to how devastating he was from an efficiency standpoint on offense. Do you have any idea of maybe why that playmaking grade is so low? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he is a natural point guard. He had to learn that position on the fly last year with the whole Ben Simmons situation for the first half of the year, and he grew into it as the year went on. But I think he's in the perfect role right now as the secondary ball handler, handler secondary playmaker next to Harden. Like, Harden is going to be effectively the point guard and then maxi despite being 6-2 is going to be quote unquote the shooting guard it, it'll be an interchangeable but um yeah i don't think you want him bring the ball up every possession i just don't you know and that could be a limit to him on another team or him after the harden era uh phases out in philly or maybe he develops by that point into more of a natural point guard but i see him more in that like you know, I, I consider Jamal Murray of the Nuggets in that same mold where, you know, he gets he is unlocked at his like best self because he gets to play next to a Nikola Jokic. I think that might be the case with Maxi next to Harden and Embiid. So one of the fascinating things with Maxi is he's like really low turnover for somebody so young. But mm. I wonder how much like, you know, we Taylor mentioned the playmaking earlier and to kind of really maximize that playmaking, you have to uh, take more risks. So, I mean, is that something do you think you can get, like, learn that eventually, or is that going to be a little more difficult now with Harden next to him? Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think he was being very careful with the ball as, you know, the de facto point guard for the first half of last year. Um Again, like the offense really ran through Embiid, like Maxi would take it up the floor and then dump it to Embiid and let Embiid orchestrate the offense from there. Um, I, you know, I think as long as Embiid is in town, that's not going to change a whole lot. But there are going to be minutes or there are going to be full games where Embiid is not playing, and that's a, a time for guys like Harden and Maxi to flex more of that playmaking muscle. So I think, you know, being able to be in the same gym as James Harden and learn from him is going to be a huge blessing for Maxi. Like, you're, he gets to learn from one of the best passers of his generation. Um, and I think, 
you know, I, I don't know if I ever see him turning into like a 10 assists per game type of guy, but it wouldn't shock me, especially once he takes over for Harden, you know, hopefully years down the road at this point. If, yeah, like six, seven assists per game, even eight, sure, I could see that. So let's move on from talking about offense, talking about defense. Uh, Matisse Thibel, yes. he's a player that uh, is a little bit of a conundrum <laughs> because yeah. he was on our uh, all-defensive team uh, this year at Basketball Index. Uh, he was the 19th worst offensive player, according to Olebron this season. So he was really defensive heavy. Uh, he struggled mightily in the playoffs. Uh, and what what is the puzzle there? What is the value there? And is a guy like DeAnthony Melton, who they traded for from the Grizzlies, was he brought in to replace him? Uh, what's the situation going on there? Yeah, he is uh, a conundrum is a good way to phrase it. I, I think Sixers fans got really down on Matisse uh, with the vaccination stuff last year. As soon as that came out, there was just a huge, huge heel turn. And then his struggles in the playoffs, like, there weren't many people on the trade Matisse bandwagon before like April of last season. And now I feel like every time I talk about him being on the team next year, it's like, no, he's got to trade him anywhere else. (laughs) Uh, And like, I think right now he's more of, you know, what Draymond Green says is an 82 game player than a 16 game player. Like until that three point shot comes around and the dribbling too, like he just can't really create off the dribble at all for himself. Um, until he presents any semblance of threat, uh, you know, off the ball, teams have no reason to guard him. And we saw that in the playoffs. They they were like, okay, we will happily leave you open for shots if we can send doubles at uh, Embiid or at Harden. Um, so I think I'm really fascinated to see, you know, assuming they don't trade him in the next month or two, uh, fascinated to see what he looks like coming into this season because he's another guy like he you know his entire NBA career has been upended by COVID effectively like he hasn't this is his first real off season um so you know did that give him the opportunity to really work on a shot or I, I saw a video came out recently of him like you know working on his dribbling I saw that video too uh, yeah yeah and you know we'll see how that translates to the regular season they've got either 82 games to figure it out or at least until the trade deadline, you know, he is going into the last year of his rookie contract, which also complicates this. So if he doesn't show a ton of progress, um, he is one of basically their only tradable contracts and, you know, one of their only young guys with trade value. So it wouldn't totally shock me if they tried to ship him out some point this season, if he's not showing the progress that you would hope, but, you know, defensively, I think he gets, a little bit overrated based on the steals and blocks and like the highlight plays that he has, you know, deflections as well. And like, he's one of the best three point shot blockers in the league. Uh, But he tends to take so many risks that he gets himself out of position and leads to defensive breakdowns. So I'm, I'm hoping that with, you know, when he was playing next to Ben and Ben could take that, like the hardest job and he was out there to be more of a help guy I think that was better than him, him as this, like, you lock down the best perimeter option uh, every night. I don't know if that's where he thrives the most. But again, that's where the additions of Tucker in particular, but also House and Melton should help. Like, if, if Matisse and Melton are coming off the bench, I mean, those guys were 
among the league leaders in steals and deflections last year. So pair those two together and you are just putting opposing reserve backcourts in hell. <laughs> so one, one of the things actually about Dival is like his playoff de- defense of LeBron is so much lower than like mm-hmm. his overall during the regular season. So like you're talking about his brand of defense. Do you think like that can work in the playoffs Yeah, I think he needs to just continue refining his risk-taking. Like, he needs to figure out, and I think it's only going to come with time, uh, you know, when you're allowed to gamble on steals or blocks and when you're not. Like, you know, all of the attention from that, you know, Hawks-Sixers game seven two years ago was on Ben Simmons giving up that layup. But Matisse made a couple really bad plays i think there was i think it was kevin herter who took a three uh with like a minute left in the game the sixers still could have come back and i believe uh matisse fouled him on that shot which like i think it was like toward the end of the shot clock like he just should have let him shoot it and contest it but don't you know don't bail him out with the foul because it was like that's what allowed them to push the margin past where the sixers could come back so you know i think it's going to take time and experience and you know he's already 25 years old so we're not you know for a guy who's only three years in the league like he came in as an older prospect we're not talking about a 21 year old who's still got this huge runway to continue growing like we're already moving into his prime years here um so i I think he would be miscast as you know a Kawhi Leonard type like I don't think he's ever going to be that type of a player I think he's more in the mold of a Robert Covington but those guys could also be really useful in the right scenarios it sounds like he maybe needs to like befriend an insurance adjuster or something like that to really like hone in his (laughs) risk-taking yes yes that would be great um what is it like having Doc Rivers coach the team you follow on a nightly basis uh you know, honestly, the first year, the vibes were so good because they just went off to win the one seed in the East. There wasn't a lot of adversity during the regular season. You know, Ben and Joe were getting along. Like, Joe was having the best year of his career. Then last year, it just took a complete turn with, you know, the Ben stuff for the first half of the year. Uh, it was just more adversarial between Doc and the media at times. Um and, you know, the decision-making, uh, especially with DeAndre Jordan, like that that was one of the big blow-ups <laughs> between Doc and the media when, uh, you know, I think, I forget who asked, uh, you know, like, why aren't you playing Paul Reed more? Like, we've seen DeAndre Jordan. He literally cannot move. Why not give one of these young guys a shot? And then, you know, that led to a whole confrontation and the whole Paul Reed victory tour quote. Um, but, you know, like... As it turned out, Paul Reed played an important role in the playoffs. And had he gotten more experience during the regular season, maybe he could have played an even bigger role and like would have been, you know, more refined. Uh, and now, as of right now, when we're recording this, like Paul Reed theoretically profiles as their backup center, their primary backup center. So, um, you know, Doc just has these tendencies that you know going in, like if you give him a veteran center, he is going to play them over the young guys or a veteran in general. He is going to probably favor them over the young guys, despite what 
what the uh, upside of those moves are. Um, his rotations are questionable at times. I don't know if he's like, you know, the best X's nose tactician in the league. Um, that said, I, like he he has helped Embiid have the two best years of his career. Um, you know, guys do seem to want to play for him. Um, so I think you just have to balance that. And it's one of the challenges that Daryl Morey has on his plate is like, you know, maybe don't sign uh, Dwight Howard or a DeAndre Jordan and like force Doc to play a Paul Reed or a Charles Bassey. It's like, you know, Billy Bean from Moneyball, where you're just trading all the players that the manager wants to play. It's like, nope, can't play him. Got to play the other guy. <laughs> Uh, all right. I think that's going to wrap it up for the state of the 76ers. Brian, uh, thank you for coming on. I feel like you, you were able to shed a lot, a lot of light on this team. Uh, again, Brian, if you want to check him out, he is the senior quality editor at Bleacher Report. He's the co-host of the NBA pod, and he's doing a whole bunch of other stuff in basketball. Uh, Brian, what's your, uh, what's your Twitter handle? Yeah, it's just my, uh, first initial last name. So B T O P O R E K. Um, so you can follow me there and thank you guys for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm happy to come back anytime. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, for myself and Krishna, that's going to wrap it up for this episode and we'll see you next week or actually we'll see you later this week on the basketball index podcast.